On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Andy Owens. He is the VP of Analytics at Deep Intent. We're going to be talking about best practices around hiring data engineers and analytics analytics engineers. It's a new hybrid title that we'll ask them about across geographies and, and also some of the challenges of onboarding and ramping people up. And super excited to have you on, Andy. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Amir. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So obviously, we know you're the VP of analytics, but maybe if you can kind of fill in what you do day to day and what Deep Intent does, we can dive in from there. Sure. Uh, let me start with Deep Intent. So, you know, we're essentially a marketing technology company focused on improving the lives of patients. So we work heavily with pharmaceutical companies and hospitals to basically provide advertising support for their initiatives. Down to, I would say, the meat of what I'm doing day to day. I'm really supporting, I would say, three functions. One is, you know, kind of traditional BI reporting, right, out to clients or internal stakeholders. And then we're doing, you know, some, I would say, like light analytics engineering, you know, not full production data engineering, right, supporting our platform, but really supporting internal dashboards, data feeds, et cetera, throughout the company. And then lastly, uh, and probably most importantly, are, are data science components. So, you know, uh, building models that will drive, you know, direct impact to revenue or, you know, marketing campaign performance that have, you know, an obvious impact on our bottom line. Awesome. Sounds like uh, some dynamic and uh, constantly changing work, if you ask me. So to dive on in, I guess, let's talk a little bit about, I know we talk atop the podcast, I mentioned we'd be talking about best practices around hiring data engineers, analytics folks, analytics engineers, which is becoming a quick new title, and kind of some of the challenges that, you know, are faced in looking for particular skills. And I guess before you start, maybe fill us in like what your team looks like, you know, how, I know you mentioned you're responsible for some of the BI as well, how much your work is externally facing, maybe give us a little context there. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I'd say uh, we do have quite a lot of client-facing contact, right? So we're working with our clients maybe not all the time, but probably like 10% of our client calls where they're supporting them, making sure that we're addressing really their baseline questions of what data they need, but also deeper level uh, analysis that they might require. You know, so that's handled by, you know, kind of a, a small group of analysts. We do have quite a few. Uh, so I think right now we have, uh, you know, five or six. I've seen kind of similar breakdowns at other companies where you have a group of analysts and then you segment, you know, the team into more of the data scientists who are going to be doing either long-run research projects or model development directly into machine learning and production support. So yeah, I would say, you know, the dynamic there is, you know, you're probably going to see a skew, right? More junior folks who might have, I would say, some of those more entry-level or maybe like two to three years of experience with SQL or Python, right, coming in as analysts. And then, you know, you're going to heavily, heavily skew more technical as you go towards the data scientists, right? So not solely somebody who can, you know, come in and run a machine learning algorithm. You know, I think at this point in the industry, you know, I know eight years ago, this wasn't the case, right? But every grad school and uh, (laughs) every undergrad program, I'd say in the country right now, has some kind of machine learning um, offering or data science offering where, you know, somebody can go do logistic regression, right? I would say, you know, that's very important. But what you get to with the more technical data scientists quickly is really, you know, you're going to need folks who have a a very firm understanding of system performance, you know, understanding things like memory consumption, understanding just, you know, core computer science concepts to make sure that the models can run. You know, I think it's fine if you can maybe put something together locally, but when you actually deploy to the cloud and you have to support potentially millions of transactions a second, 
you know, things change pretty quickly. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, you know, I have this conversation quite a bit when it comes to hiring managers looking for a data analyst or an analytics engineer. And the skill set has evolved so much in the last couple of years where SQL is no longer the, hey, you know, you need to be good with SQL. It's, you know, are you good with R? Are you good with Python? You know, not just from reading some basic code, but being able to be a little bit more functional than that. Like when you're going through the interview process, are you seeing talent catching up with some of those new skill sets? Are you still seeing a gap when you're looking to hire? You know, good question. I I think, you know, baseline Python knowledge has gone a long way. You know, I think people who maybe just learned about the standard library, you know, back in their computer science kind of 101 program, maybe again, eight years ago, five years ago, have really advanced, right? They do know a lot more of the libraries that are needed for data manipulation. But I would say the gap maybe isn't exactly with SQL and Python, but it's it's honestly the introductory concepts of computer science, such as like Linux, right? How do you go in and run a cron tab, right? Not very complicated, but you would be surprised at the amount of analysts who, you know, they go and read, um, I forget the name of the book. It's something like automate the simple stuff with Python or something like that. And it sounds great, but that if you want to automate something every day, you know, you're going to need CronTab. That's the bare bones scheduling system. And just asking folks, you know, how do you go do this? It really does weed out quite a few folks, right? I think there's kind of a gap in both the curriculum and then expectations that maybe employers will have where I think this computer science, just basic curriculum is just not there. So, you know, that's an area where I focus like development for folks, right? If they come on and they have, you know, great, Python experience, but they're clearly missing some of that Linux experience. Hey, just throwing them in the deep end, making sure their first couple of assignments are, okay, go execute some SQL from your Python script and automate it every day in like CronTap. Then you can advance them from there into, you know, more advanced concepts like, uh, you know, using Airflow or other systems. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe, maybe what I'm reading is a signal of requiring Python. Really, the root requirement is needing some of that CS background because you you know, you look at analysts and not many maybe come with a computer science degree and a lot of people get into analytics from different areas. Maybe it's stats, but a lot of different backgrounds end up as an analyst. And now that, you know, people have a lot more data to process, obviously the minimum, like you said, is you got to know some basic Python, strong SQL, but really is being able to operate within that space where the hard skills got just a little bit more technical maybe. And maybe that's really what the market's looking for and understanding core CS concepts should be maybe that, you know, big step if you want to, you know, move into a different type of analytics role as a part of your career path. Yeah, I would say so, you know, but I will also caveat this with like, you know, every organization is different. I think I've, you know, always been on uh, the digital side really uh, since I kind of left system integration consulting. And as a part of that, you know, just having an understanding of what's going on (laughs) from a computer science perspective has just been critical. But, you know, there are many organizations that just need top-level research, right? If you go to a research firm, you know, you might just be compiling data or accessing a SQL, you know, environment, extracting that data and and running algorithms for your whole career, right? I know folks who are uh, at healthcare providers that are doing that for years now. And that relevant analyst does exist there. I would just say, you know, probably my perception is biased, right? In the digital space, you're going to need more of those computer science concepts. I think the functional analyst still has his or her place in the market. And I think depending on where you're at and how much data volume your company is dealing with, obviously do kind of put on some of those requirements. 
And I guess when you mentioned, you know, ramping somebody up and, you know, looking to bring someone on and they're missing some of these core skill sets and throw them in the deep end. I mean, from your perspective, when you see someone, you know, jump into the role and they're trying to get in and figure out some things in Linux, what do you see from kind of their development? Is it a, you know, and again, per person, it could, you know, be different, but is this a couple of day thing, couple of week thing? How much lead time can you give someone to kind of pick up these things before you're like, well, it's just not a fit? Yeah, you know, uh, good question. I think the first kind of um, caveat there, I would say, is just, you know, I describe the deep end as like, look, you know, these are folks diving down and touching the bottom. This is how they're doing it. Watch them do it, right? So making sure that they have like a, you know, some kind of peer that they're working with that can show them, hey, look, this is how I build my script that's going to, you know, run every day. And again, something simple like CronTab. I'm going <laughs> to beat this analogy over, but, um, you know, okay, how do I make sure that that runs every day? Look, this is how I execute this and make sure Linux just runs this uh, every morning at 9 a.m. And I think once they run through that, right, you can then narrow them down into saying, okay, look, you need to make sure your, your script executes in the Linux environment, right? You need to make sure that you select the correct configuration, right, when you're setting your uh, CronTab settings. And then you need to make sure that your output is expected over like two or three days. So honestly, I would say it shouldn't take much time. I would say probably a week to two weeks. And then, you know, if there's any gaps, right, you do kind of fill those in with training as well, right? So, you know, provide them a template. If you know they have gaps, provide them exactly what they need in terms of, okay, here's some reference material. Here's maybe a YouTube video or an online course in Coursera or Data Camp or something just to narrow them down and make sure that they have a very clear guideline on um, what to learn and then how to execute it. That makes sense. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like when you're interviewing, you're looking to hire, obviously your ideal candidate's going to be the person who, you know, ticks off all the boxes. Obviously that doesn't always happen. You're not going to get the candidate that's, uh, you know, five stars and, you know, bells ringing, you know, it's the right person. There's going to be some trade-offs. When you're looking for those trade-offs, typically, are you looking for given apart skills for aptitude? Are you, you know, functional? Is there any areas that you, I guess, assume can train easier and you need a little bit more of the core skills coming in? That's a good question. I think for areas where we have at my current company, you know, client-facing analysts, you know, we're always making sure they have like digital media experience. And then I would say, you know, just generally, right, if there's folks who are going to have to deal with stakeholders, making sure they have really strong experience doing that. You know, I think, again, you get a kind of lot of, lot of new hires, usually in, in some of these analyst positions who maybe, again, don't have too much experience interacting with, hey, maybe you have to throw them in front of a director who manages 15 people, and they're going to come in and ask very strategic questions of this analyst that the analyst might just get lost in the data, right? I think it's really having to take having an inventory of what you believe their role will be. And then matching that with the skill set, right? And I think that's probably where a lot of companies and hiring managers even kind of go astray is that they don't focus enough on what the actual role is. They may focus on, oh, hey, you know, like we know we're missing data engineering skills. Let's hire someone pretty technical, right? And get them like an analytics engineer. Okay, that's fine. But all the deliverables for this person really, right? If you look through all your requests or JIRA tickets or something for the last six months, well, they're all client facing. So you really need that focus. And I think that helps drive the appropriate decision-making around skills. That's actually really good advice. And I think the one thing I see a lot, and I'm curious to get your perspective on it is obviously you guys, 
at the company at Deep Ten have a certain way of doing things. Your previous organization, people coming in have done things a certain way. When you're looking at to hire someone, how much of your internal processes do you have to try to, you know, take out of your mind, take out of your, you know, projection of how this person's going to do? Because obviously you guys might just do things differently and try to look at, you know, as objectively as possible someone's, you know, core skills. Because what I hear a lot is, you know, they're close, but it's not a fit. And it's kind of like, well, you know, the skills are really there and they might do a little bit differently. Can you map that across? And sometimes the tribal process knowledge of the internal skews a little bit more than might be necessary. Yeah, I, I think that's a good question, right? Every organization functions differently. You know, I don't think I've ever gone into an organization that had like a tech department that had like the same kind of ticketing system, right? Everybody used Jira, but they totally customize it a different way, track progress in different ways have different technical setups, right? And, you know, that's just one organization, right? Analytics is, is a similar way, right? A couple of previous companies have had very informal ways of handling just ad hoc requests. Whereas, you know, some other companies have had very formal ways of tracking it because, it, hey, maybe it actually, analysis ended up going to the CFO and lands in a, a number that ends up on the street, right? <laughs> you, you need some controls over that. So I would say the process shouldn't determine the person, right? And I think that's hard to get away from in some cases. I think what's most important is to really, again, back into, hey, what is this analyst going to be doing every day? And can they handle these requests, right? Did I shape my even technical assessment questions in my interviews to actually test for that skill, right? You know, are they able to be given some abstract data set, a high-level business question, and get to the point of that? Or, you know, are you trying to make sure somebody's super detail-oriented, finds the exceptions in the data, you know, maybe those uh, outliers that you threw in on purpose that are going to skew the outcomes and make sure that they can find, you know, really detailed insights and provide that back to the tech team, right? Those are very different kind of functions that an analyst can play. And I think it's important, again, just to back into what's the role they're going to be doing. Process shouldn't really be determining that the person how does uh, geography factor into some of your hiring? Obviously, how do you count for how do you count for geography? Maybe we just start there. Yeah, good question. I mean, since I really started my career, you know, I've, I've generally worked with overseas teams or at least you know remote teams. So it's not really, especially this coronavirus world, it's not uh, very foreign to me. And you know, I think for me, right, I've always found it easy to delegate. I think you know you need to back into, okay, what are the commonalities in communication, right? You're probably going to want to put things in writing, right? You get people to agree to things on calls. You send out those action items in writing. You make sure that they can confirm those action items, right? And I would say that's more like an operational process, right? To make sure the offshore teams work. But, you know, especially examining on the ground talent across the world. I think at this time, I've worked in like nine different countries across the continents. And the commonality, again, would be okay, make sure that, again, that the person matches the role, right? And that you actually have a good understanding of what they're going to be doing. Because, hey, you know, you might want somebody with fantastic English skills if you're going to throw them in front of a client or the CEO. Or if, hey, you know, maybe that's okay, right? If you guys have to over-communicate in some cases and you need somebody with awesome technical talent who you know you can fund in that country. So, you know, I think for me, it's always been, okay, you know, managing those cultural differences and making sure there's clear communication is the process challenge. 
Hiring, again, goes back to the same technique you would use, whether somebody's sitting next to you or across the globe, right? Really understanding the role and expectations for the business, not just your kind of bias <laughs> about what the person will do. And then I think probably the op- main operational consideration you have, right, is just coverage, right? Making sure you have folks that are available during business hours to respond to the types of requests that you actually need. You know, don't skew your folks to, I don't know, Central Asian time, right? If you know that you're going to have you know, the CEO demanding something at uh, 4 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time, right? You're going to need a good balance. But I think that, again, comes down to understanding the role, understanding the business, and seeing where you can distribute work because there's always benefits to it, right? I think especially where you have maybe technical teams abroad, it's always the good thing to have your analysts close to your technical teams, right? I've seen many instances where the data engineering team is far away from the analysts, right? And hey, that little cooler break where somebody can just go tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to join this data. It doesn't really make too much sense to me. You know, those kind of questions can just get resolved offhand. And there's no maybe uh, concern about having to reach out to somebody on Slack or an email to get an answer, right? The in-person component does matter. And again, that I would say transfer of knowledge between the tech teams and analyst teams is super important. You know, just as important as the business stakeholders and analysts communicating. But I think if you distribute out your technologists, you should be distributing out your analysts as well. That's some awesome advice, Andy. I think there's some nuggets in there in terms of uh, growing uh, your analytics team and and also, you know, having to deal with, uh, you know, you've dealt with multiple geographies. Thanks for being on the podcast, sharing your insights. I think it's been fantastic. If somebody wants to reach out to you, like to follow up on any of these topics, what's a good avenue to contact you at? Yeah, just uh, reach out to me at, uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll include your uh, LinkedIn in the show notes. Uh, again, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. It's been fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Amir. Absolutely. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. We'll be back again with another guest, another set of topics. And until then, I always ask for two things. One, Keep subscribing to the podcast. The organic growth has been really fantastic to see. I can't thank you all enough. And secondly, if you have any thoughts in terms of topics you want covered, just feel free to message me on LinkedIn. I'd love to be able to align those with future guests. Until next time, thanks. 